Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? I know that some of you may be wondering why I have chosen a carnivorous dietary approach um, to work on my uh, thyroid issue. And that is a fantastic question. Today, we're going to talk about the reasons that someone may choose to use an animal-based therapeutic diet. At the outset, it's going to sound kind of crazy, especially in this very plant-centric space that we're in. But just keep an open mind and remember that God gave us both plant and animal foods. And while for some people, a plant-based approach may be the answer, for others, it may be animal-based. Now, before we dive in, a couple things um, I wanted to share. One was that um, when I did the thyroid podcast, I think that I may have mistakenly said that um, going into that menopause can kind of kick you into hypothyroid. I meant to say perimenopause. So it is uh, common or kind of common. Um, it, it can happen that your body can kind of kick into this hypothyroid gear uh, postpartum and in perimenopause. You know, those are both times when your hormones are all kind of wackadoodle. Um, and anyway, I think I said menopause, but I wanted to clarify that. Um, also, um, I had told you in that podcast that I plan to have a guest on to go over some more of the nuances of thyroid conditions and medications and such. And I did interview a wonderful guest. But uh, again, I don't know what I don't know what's happening. But whenever I have a guest on there, something goes haywire in the system that I use, and there's an echo. And it's so frustrating. And so that I, I interviewed this wonderful, uh, very knowledgeable woman, and the recording is pretty bad. I think it's bad enough where it would make you crazy to listen to it. So I, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. I got to do something because I can't have any more guests on until I figure this out. Um, it's very frustrating. And uh, anyway, just kind of part of part of this podcast world, part of these back end technical issues. But this one I keep butting my head against, I got to figure this out. So anyway, um, I just want to let you know that in case you were kind of looking for it, it's probably going to be a while. So there's that. And then the other thing I wanted to share because it I just kind of had a, a, a hello duh moment this past week was that I was standing there at the counter making my food. I was thinking about the thyroid podcast and all of this stuff. And it just dawned on me and occurred to me that this is probably why when I asked God if I should do the nutritional blood chemistry class, do you remember that? Remember at the, um, when, when I did that podcast and I shared with you that I was unsure if I should 
you know, take this course um, because it was going to take a lot of time, a lot of my brain, a lot of my money, and I just wasn't sure it was the right thing for me to do at that time, you know. Um, and so I asked God, and he gave me a, you know, very clear sign. That was the whole blood of humans um, thing. And But it just occurred to me, like, hello, this is probably the reason. So I would discover this, you know, health stuff for myself. And of course, it's, you know, going to benefit a lot of people, I hope, you know, all the information that I learned in the nutritional blood chemistry class. But I think first and foremost, um, you know, this kind of wake up call for me, getting my own blood panel and realizing um, some things that I need to work on, and just all of that together. And I have no idea why that just dawned on me, but it did. Um, and so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for God. And I'm grateful for the relationship with God that we have that relationship that you ask him a question um, and he can communicate with you. And I just, it blows me away all the time. So anyway, okay, let's dive in here. So as I've mentioned, I'm using this carnivorous approach. Um, again, I always want to highlight the ish because a true carnivore diet is only meat, salt, and water. I know it sounds horrible, <laughs> right? Um, it's very extreme, uh, a, a true carnivore diet. And if you've been hanging out with me here long enough, you know, I'm not into extremes. I mean, I have said, how many times have I said, do not jump into extreme dietary measures. Uh, but you've also heard me say, sometimes nutritional therapy is necessary for people who do not see improvement with, you know, good general dietary and lifestyle changes under their belt. You know, like you're eating well, you're getting good sleep, you're drinking your water, you're moving your body, just all those foundations, because you've got to address those first and always. But if you're still having trouble or experiencing a health condition, that is the time to dig deeper and perhaps apply something a little more targeted and unfortunately, sometimes a little more restricted. This is nutritional therapy. This is what we do as nutritional uh, therapists to help people. We identify nutritional deficiencies um, and imbalances and challenges in the body. And we support that with nutrition, lifestyle, and supplemental changes. All of us trained as nutritional therapists are going to address the foundations first. My version of doing that is feast to fast, you know, getting a healthy, doable way of eating in your life in the Genesis prescription, addressing those lifestyle factors like sunshine, movement, and breath. So if we've got all that going on and still there are health or weight concerns, then we need to dig deeper. And depending on the situation, apply a therapeutic dietary approach, digestive support, a gut reset, targeted supplemental therapy, you know, et cetera. Um, and by the way, I am working on building this base of Christian nutritionist practitioners, you know, other um, nutritionists who are Christians for people who need more one-on-one -on -one help and want to work with a Christian. So be looking out for that under the recommendations tab on my website. I've already got a few wonderful practitioners um, there that you can contact for individual help um, if you are not in the club, in the Christian Health Club and working with me. Okay, so when we're looking at therapeutic diet options, what is so interesting is that what many of them have in common is a manipulation of carbohydrates and a manipulation that goes beyond simple adjustment of macronutrient ratios or cutting out processed carbs. You know, because we 
we've already addressed, hopefully we've already addressed all this, you know, like we address all that like in Feast of Fast, right? So we, we're going to get those ratios um, more in balance. We're going to cut out most of the the junky stuff, you know, say for, a, you know, a handful of hekyas that are really worth it. And we're going to be discerning about that. But what I'm talking about are dietary approaches that eliminate plant foods, you know, which are carbohydrates. When we look at the top five food allergens or triggers, we're looking at gluten, dairy, corn, soy, and eggs. Now, we could throw shellfish in there, too, because that's a problem for a lot of people. But those are always the things to play with first, the ones to cut out first, you know, cut them out for several months, and then you can systemically, uh, systematically add them back in and see how you do. Um, A lot of the time, that's all you need. You know, a lot of people will cut those out and do an elimination experiment with those and figure out like something's really messing them up, like the gluten or the dairy or whatever it is, and that will really alleviate whatever the problem is. Of those, there are three animal-based foods, dairy, eggs, and the shellfish, and three plant-based foods, gluten, corn, uh, excuse me, gluten, corn, and soy. But beyond that, most of the common therapeutic diets are eliminating more plant foods. Now, with the exception, of course, of a vegetarian and vegan diet, which, you know, can be used successfully as short-term therapeutic um, approach in the right context. Um, but it could also be making things worse if your body is sensitive to or suffering from the plant compounds we're going to talk about today. So when we look at a lot of these therapeutic diets like paleo, keto, carnivore, the GAPS diet, specific carbohydrate diet, FODMAPS, low oxalate diet, low nightshade diet, the autoimmune protocol diet, the low salicylate diet, the candida diet, what they're all doing in some shape or form is cutting out plant foods. And I know this all sounds counterintuitive again, because we're just in this very plant-centric dietary space that encourages eating mostly plant foods and mostly vegetables. And I want to say right now that I love vegetables. I love plant foods. You know, plant foods came first in the Bible. Um, I am not at all trying to scare you away from eating plant foods. I love them. And I wish I were eating more of them right now. Um, Again, for the person who doesn't have any health issues, anything they're trying to work on, these dietary approaches are likely not necessary. But there are a lot of ways that plant foods can be problematic for the body. And sometimes it's very subtle and you don't realize it until you take them out of the diet. There are certain compounds in plants that can block nutrient absorption, trigger the immune system, irritate the gut, or impede organ function. For instance, one compound in plants called oxalates can impede thyroid function. Where do we find high oxalates? In foods like raw spinach, almonds, and chia seeds. Those are things that many of us eat all the time and think are, you know, doing our body good. And for some bodies, it might, but other bodies might not. In a lot of these cases, it's, you know, the dose making the poison, and we're all going to be a little bit different when it comes to that. So, why is this? How is this? How could plant foods be hurting of it, hurting us? And why aren't more people talking about this? Well, there have been actually. Um, Dave Asprey, the bulletproof guy, has been talking about it for years, and he's been railing on kale for a long time. Maybe you've heard of the book The Plant Paradox, uh, written by Dr. Stephen Gundry, who takes a deep dive into one of these problematic plant compounds called lectins. Um, Dr. Axe even has an article on his website outlining the most common um, 
plant toxins. And Dr. Paul Saladino talks in depth about these plant toxins in his book called The Carnivore Code. And it wasn't until he cut out plants that his eczema went away. So let's talk about this. What in the world? How can plants be bad for you? Well, we have to understand that plants aren't these little innocent, harmless things hanging around in nature just waiting to serve us, you know, just waiting for us to eat them. In fact, they, like every other living thing on the earth, want to live. They want to live. They want to proliferate. They want to promulgate their species. That's their number one goal. Yes, plants have goals. They want to live. They do not want to be eaten by predators, whether that's insects, animals, or people. Unlike animals, though, they don't have legs to run away or claws to rip apart their enemy or horns to charge with or teeth to bite or stingers to launch. But they have a very intricate, effective, brilliant defense system that is more subtle but damaging to its predator nonetheless. They have compounds inside of them, mostly concentrated in their roots, stem, leaves, and seeds, that when eaten can cause internal damage to the predator. Uh, They want you to feel digestive distress or infect you in some way um, that makes you not want to go back for more. (laughs) The challenge is that unless it's an acute reaction, it can be very hard to realize and identify that it's the plant compounds that are creating the problem. It can take years of accumulation of these plant toxins working against you before issues manifest. And a lot of this has to do with gut health and detoxification. I mean, number one, plants can interfere with gut health. But if you have gut or detoxification problems, if those systems in the body aren't working well or are compromised, um, you know, you may be more susceptible to experiencing the effects of these plant, these kind of toxic plant compounds. For some people, certain compounds in these plants may just not jive with their system. Sometimes it may be the sugars or the fiber in the plant. For instance, the specific carbohydrate diet removes foods with multi-sugar molecules like potatoes and sweet potatoes. A low FODMAPs diet removes highly fermentable carbs like apples, garlic, onions, and asparagus. Uh, Just a note here that more fiber is not better for everyone, okay? I don't care what the daily recommendation of fiber is. Uh, Many people's guts cannot handle it. I would say most people with compromised gum function and obvious digestive issues cannot handle huge fiber loads, even constipated people. A lot of fiber can actually make a constipated person worse. In fact, some studies show that decrease or removal of fiber can relieve constipation. I know it flies in the face of everything you've heard, like eat more fiber, eat more fiber. But if the body can't break down food well or doesn't have the right bacterial balance to handle fiber, it's going to clog you up more than it's going to help you go. Plant fiber can overfeed certain bacteria in your gut and cause bloating, gas, and constipation. Um, You know, fiber really needs its own podcast. (laughs) I really need to do like a whole separate podcast on fiber um, because that's not really the part of the plant foods we're focusing on um, in this episode. Um, But just know that more is not always better for everyone. And in fact, I would say a lot of people that do the an animal-based diet see a lot of improvement, you know, simply because it's just like easing up on the fiber. Okay, so you might already be able to tell that we're, we're going to be wading into very gray territory today. Okay. Um, 
But the big picture takeaway I want you to get is that you just you can't rule out plant foods as um, maybe being part of the problem or contributing to your health issue. So let's talk about some of these um, plant defense compounds that may be causing problems in your body. I've mentioned a few already, oxalates and lectins. There's also uh, trypsin inhibitors, phytates, saponins, salicylates, tannins, and there are more. But those are the most common ones, and we're just going to go over some of them today um, and how they can cause problems in the body. So let's start with phytic acid, also known as phytates, and it is considered an anti-nutrient. Okay, several of these plant compounds are, are considered uh, anti-nutrients because they can block your body from being able to use nutrients found in food. Phytates are mostly found in grains, legumes, and nuts or seeds, and they interfere with the absorption of vitamins and minerals. So even though the food like pumpkin seeds or beans or oatmeal or chickpeas, you know, come with things like zinc and magnesium, calcium and iron, the phytic acid also within the food can block your body from being able to use those valuable vitamins and minerals. And that can lead to nutrient deficiency. If you're eating a lot of those, um, you know, kind of thinking you're doing good for your body and getting a lot of nutrients, but the, the phytic acid's blocking your ability to use it, then you it can lead to nutrient deficiency. So phytic acid can also inhibit your body's digestive enzymes, you know, those things that we need to be able to break down our food to utilize the nutrients. Um, there are cooking techniques that you can use to help reduce the phytates in your food before you eat them so that you have a better chance of being able to use the nutrients. So things like soaking your grains and legumes or pressure cooking them, soaking and sprouting your nuts, fermenting foods. I talked about this in the podcast called Insider Secrets to Eating Grains and Legumes. So you can revisit that because I go more into depth about all this stuff. And I've addressed a little bit of what we're talking about today there. But, you know, this is how our ancestors prepared these foods. They had that kind of innate wisdom about them to know um, that instinctual knowledge that you can't just, you know, pluck these things off the ground and just eat them. <laughs> um so we've gotten away from these important preparation and cooking techniques. You know, we, we're not, we're so in a hurry and most of us are not into soaking and sprouting our nuts and seeds and taking the time to do that. I mean, I have to admit, even I don't do that and I should because my kids eat a lot of nuts and I'm feeling re-motivated, if that is a word, uh, to address this and kind of get back to doing that. I, I did that ages and ages ago um, and, you know, like everybody else, it's just... It takes up time in the world. Um, at a minimum, I, I could probably cut down on their nut intake. Um, you know, but most people, you know, are not going to take the time to do that, like I said. Um, we just, we go to the store, we grab bags of nuts and seeds from the store. Um, sadly, a lot of them are roasted in toxic seed oils. And that is, it makes things just, that alone is just so hard and horrible for the body, you know. And you can think you're having this healthy, like, quote unquote, paleo type snack, but that's not the case. You know, they can be hurting you more than they're helping you. Definitely, if they're roasted in seed oils, you know, not helpful. Um, but, you know, if they're not soaked and sprouted and just kind of had that preparation method, then they may be blocking some important nutrients from able um, from your system being able to use them. 
Okay, another anti-nutrient is trypsin inhibitor, which again is mostly found in grains, legumes, soybeans. It is very similar to phytates in that um, it interferes with the digestion process, which can ultimately lead to those nutritional deficiencies. Um, it also can be lessened by properly preparing and cooking your food. Okay, let's talk about lectins. This is the big bad boogeyman that Dr. Gundry talks about in his book, The Plant Paradox. Honestly, after I read that book a few years ago, I was like, oh man, <laughs> this is going to be so confusing for people and scare them away from eating vegetables. And now here I am probably scaring you from eating vegetables and other plant foods. And I really dislike it because my main goal is to encourage you to eat all real food, which includes plants and animals as God made them. But as I've learned, each person's body is so different in the makeup of their gut bacteria, their digestive capabilities, the toxins they've been exposed to, and even their genetic makeup. And all of that can alter the way our bodies use or don't use these plant foods. You know, our body can handle some of these compounds, but the dose makes the poison depending on each person's individual health. You know, some people are going to be more sensitive to these compounds than others. So we have to explore this as a nutritional therapy option. You know, I've been reading a lot and listening to a lot of podcasts all around this topic. And I heard a story about a young woman named Michaela Peterson. She is the daughter of Jordan Peterson, who is a clinical psychologist and apparently this well-known speaker. I'd never heard of him until um, I start. you know, I look, was looking into all of this. Um, and, you know, I was listening to his daughter's story and then uh, she talked about him. And then it was funny because my pastor just randomly mentioned that sometimes he likes to listen to Jordan Peterson. So I was like, oh, that's funny. Anyway, um, his daughter had debilitating degenerative health issues. I mean, like had to have her ankle and hip replaced at a young age, horrible skin condition, anxiety, depression, all this stuff. Many, many, many doctors and surgeries over the years she finally, out of desperation, started playing with her diet, eventually landing at a strict carnivore diet with only the meat, salt, and water. She saw amazing, tremendous improvement like no conventional medication or therapy had ever been able to achieve. But she is so sensitive that when she added lettuce back in, just lettuce, she had a flood of symptoms come back. Isn't that crazy? I mean, just from adding lettuce back in. Now, that is an extreme case, very extreme, probably the most extreme I've heard. I will link to uh, the YouTube video with her in it in the show notes in case you're interested in watching that. I mean, her story is just kind of unbelievable. Um, but an animal-based uh, diet, you know, has saved her life, really. And there are people out there like her, you know, who find that plant foods are majorly problematic. All right. So back to the lectins. Um, lectins are large proteins that are naturally concentrated in the leaves and seeds of plants. Okay. And they help protect the plant as they grow. And so when you eat them um, and it goes in there and wants to kind of mess you up, it's kind of like the plant saying, you eat me right now, you're going to pay, buddy. I'm going to bloat you up, make your tummy hurt, mess your gut lining disrupt cellular communication and confuse and irritate your immune system. So back off. That's what the plant would say if it could talk. Lectins 
are one of the weapons they use to deter you from eating them. Now, Dr. Gundry states that lectins are the cause of sinus issues, brain fog, joint issues, autoimmune conditions in general. And he has a lot of testimonials of people improving and overcoming some debilitating health conditions by lowering or removing high-lectin foods from their diet. They not only contribute to leaky gut, meaning they compromise the lining of the small intestine, but when they get through that gut wall, they can activate the immune system. That's, you know, with an autoimmune condition, we don't want that to happen. You know, you don't want to unnecessarily stress out and overwork your immune system. Now, gluten is a a famous food with lectins in them. (laughs) It is a lectin. Um, But uh, other foods that have lectins are, high lectins are potatoes, eggplant, tomatoes, lentils, peanuts, beans, bell peppers, cucumbers, green beans, seeds, um, there's a whole list which you can find on Dr. Gundry's website or in his book. I think, you know, what we're seeing here so far is this common thread of grains and legumes um, and seeds and nuts being kind of the most problematic uh, plant compounds, um, especially the grains and legumes. You know, with that, the grains and legumes, you know, that's one reason the paleo diet has been so effective for people um, is because it takes out grains and legumes. Now, you can still have nuts and seeds on the paleo diet, and that's something that, you know, presents a lot of problems for a lot of people. Um, you know, but we will also see these some of these compounds in vegetables and fruits. And for the more sensitive people, we have to consider these. Um, and you can you can reduce the lectin content of food by proper preparation and cooking. So that's another thing we're seeing here is that um, that you can help by cooking things. Um, but again, it just kind of depends on your range of sensitivity to these things and to what degree you might have to remove them from your diet. Let's talk about nightshades. Um, you may have heard of nightshades, especially in relation to joint pain and arthritis. Uh, Nightshades are certain fruits and vegetables that contain an alkaloid called solanine, which is toxic in high concentrations, but even low concentrations can affect people, which is what we're talking about here. Nightshade foods include eggplant, peppers, tomatoes, potatoes, red spices like chili powder and paprika, goji berries, which I know that a lot of people drink the Ninja Red from Young Living, and that is from the wolfberry, which is the same as the goji berry. So this is something you might want to be careful with if you have an autoimmune condition, especially anything to do with the joints, but really nightshades are um, better to be avoided or at least eliminated and then systematically added back in to see if it's a problem for you um, if you have an auto, any autoimmune condition. Um, also, ashwagandha is a nightshade. You know, a lot of people use that for an adrenal supplement, which is wonderful. I love ashwagandha, but it may not be wonderful for you if you are sensitive to nightshades. Nightshades are some of the highest lectin-containing fruits and vegetables, so there's some crossover there. Um, And just these are, again, one of those groups of foods recommended to be avoided for people with autoimmune conditions. Um, Again, most associated with the joints, but can trigger the immune system in general, you know, and create inflammation and manifest as many other conditions. How do you know if you're sensitive to nightshades? It's hard to know for sure, but for some people, it is obvious once they eliminate them for a while and then reintroduce them into the diet and bam, you know, they can feel it immediately. For others, it could be just subtle, 
you know, um, may not even realize it. It might just be kind of that slight flaming of the flame of inflammation internally. Um, it's hard to know. For some people, um, they might be sensitive to one nightshade, but not others. So, uh, you know, this is this kind of complicated. But nightshades are a group of foods that fall into several of these elimination uh, dietary approaches. So I'd say this is a big one to pay attention to. Another one to pay attention to is oxalates. And this is one that's on the rise in research as a problematic plant compound. Oxalates are acids that bind to minerals like calcium. And the plant uses these acids to build tiny little sharp crystals that help defend them. And these oxalate crystals can get in, the, in your body and get stuck in tissues and membranes and create a lot of problems, create a lot of damage and inflammation. Where they accumulate in people differs from person to person. Um, when we think of oxalates, the most common association we make with them is the kidneys and kidney stones. So if you have kidney stones, you really need to uh, look at this oxalate situation and get them out um, because that could be your problem. But they can contribute to general muscle pain and fatigue, joint pain. You know, if a lot of these oxalates are getting deposited into the synovial fluid or connective tissue, um, gout, there's also a condition called vulvodynia where oxalates can build in the labia and cause pain in your lady garden. Oh my gosh, that sound horrible. Man, um, oxalates can also deplete the body of iron stores, rob the body of calcium, you know, leading to bone degeneration. They can trap heavy metals in the tissues, making elimination of them very difficult. And they can generally lead to vitamin and mineral deficiency. These oxalic acids are found in many plants, like raw cruciferous vegetables, kale, radishes, cauliflower, broccoli, shard, spinach, parsley, beets, uh, black pepper, chocolate, nuts, I mean, like almonds, uh, berries, and beans. People who eat a large quantity of raw vegetables could be more susceptible you know, like if you're putting raw greens in your smoothie every day and then having a big, you know, kale and spinach salad or eating a lot of almonds um, and you have some nagging health issues, I mean, that could be the culprit. Again, it is, these things are hard to target, but that's why I'm telling you about them. Um, you can, again, you can reduce the oxalate load by cooking your vegetables. So you might want to steam your spinach or kale before you put it in a smoothie. Listen, if you have digestive issues, honestly, eating your vegetables cooked is going to be easier on your system. Um, it is just, again, hard for, um, it's harder for a compromised digestive system to break down all that roughage. But if when you cook it, it's like giving it, it's kind of helping move forward that digest, digestive process just a little bit. Um, now, some people may have absolutely no trouble with over accumulating oxalates, you know, and causing them problems. We urinate out most of them, but some people who overeat them or may not be able to detoxify them will bioaccumulate them. And that's when they can cause issues. I was listening to this doctor talk about this and she discovered oxalates were her problem. And uh, she was saying that when she got them out of her diet or when anyone starts really reducing them out of their diet and you start detoxifying, it's like, you, your symptoms can get so much worse before they can get better, which is really true of any kind of detoxification, detox situation. Um, but you'll start, your body starts dumping them 
um, out into the system to be removed, the oxalates. And so it can make your body go a little haywire in, in the meantime. So be aware of that. Um, okay, let's talk about one more because this is all overwhelming. <laughs> You've probably heard enough by now. Um, let's talk about salicylates. Salicylates are natural chemicals made by plants. They are found in fruits and vegetables, and they help protect plants against disease and insects. Now, what's interesting is that um, salicylate extracts have been medicinally used for thousands of years to relieve pain and inflammation. It's the main ingredient in aspirin. So for some people, these plant compounds can be helpful, but for others, um, not so helpful. Um, You know, it could be an underlying problem. If you know you're sensitive to aspirin, then you might be sensitive to these salicylate foods. Um, Julie Matthews of Nourishing Hope who I love following for special dietary challenges when it comes to kids, says that she's found that salicylates are by far one of the biggest instigators of aggressive behavior in kids and can increase hyperactivity. That's just kind of crazy to me. And what is even more crazy and such a bummer is that, you know, some of these high salicylate foods are just, they're healthy foods and things you want your kids to eat. Things like Grapes, apples, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, melons, oranges, almonds, Um, tomato sauce and ketchup are also high in salicylates, as is honey. There are some herbs and spices like cinnamon, cumin, turmeric, hello, turmeric, and rosemary. So, you know, that's a challenge, right, if you were trying to remove those from your diet or your kid's diet. Now, of course, you would have need to have addressed all the processed sugar and artificial dyes and all the other stuff that could be leading to behavioral issues, right? You're not going to just start ripping apples and berries from your diet or your kid's diet without doing that first. Um, But removing salicylates is a big part of the Feingold diet. He's probably the one that really made it famous, um, which that's a therapeutic diet that's been used uh, with children, particularly with children to help ADHD, autism and behavioral issues. And it was created by Dr. Benjamin Feingold in the 1970s. He was a um, California pediatrician and allergist. And the diet eliminates artificial colors, sweeteners, salicylates, and three preservatives, BHA, BHT, and TBHQ. And he found that the diet improved allergies and asthma and focus and behavior. And it's also been used to improve skin conditions like skin rashes, hives, and eczema. So as you can see, um, this is all, like I said, it's kind of overwhelming. And kind of shocking, really, that plant foods have so much potential to create inflammation. Not for everybody. Not for everybody, as I said. However, in the world that we live in, so many people have dysfunctional guts and detoxification systems and, you know, genetic weak links that make them more susceptible uh, to sensitivity of these compounds. And we cannot ignore the fact that a lot of these nutritional therapeutic diets are a manipulation of plant foods. And that's why for me, it just felt so logical to focus on animal foods for a while, except for the eggs and dairy, because those can be highly inflammatory as well. But to me, a mostly animal-based diet just kind of seems to cut to the chase. (laughs) You know, like you can look at all of these therapeutic diets and what they all have in common is, you know, okay, let's eat some more meat, eat some more protein um, for the most part. 
Um, so like I said, what I'm doing um, on a carnivorous diet is eating meat and some fruits. Okay, mostly non sweet fruits like olives, avocado and cucumber, but a few sweeter ones too, just to kind of keep me sane and have some variety. So why? Why fruit, but not vegetables? Okay, this is fascinating, or it's fascinating to me, but I'm a big nerd. Um, okay, like I mentioned earlier, plants have an agenda. They want to live and reproduce and perpetuate their species. But fruit is actually the part they're okay with you eating. They kind of want you to eat it. It's like it's their finished product, okay, so to speak. And they want animals and humans to eat the flesh of the fruit and then disperse the seed. So they package their seeds up in these, you know, beautiful, colorful, tasty packages of fruit. And it attracts your eye and your appetite, you know, especially, you know, historically, before we had all this, you know, food available, if you were walking by and saw a nice, big, juicy, you know, peach or or apple or something, you know, you'd been like, oh, my gosh, that would have been your sweet treat in nature, you know, and so, um, and that's on purpose. So the fruit, you know, wants to attract your eye and your appetite. And in exchange for some nutrition and for some deliciousness, you help them spread their seed. So, you know, imagine historically, you're like, picking off an apple or something, and you know, you'd kind of eat the flesh, and then you're going to drop the seeds on the ground or, you know, maybe the animals are going to poop them out or, or, or whatever, you know, but they're going to be kind of dispersed, you know, on the ground. Um, and, and so that's what the plants want you to do. They want to um, be reseeded and, and keep growing and, and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, we have this symbiotic relationship um, with these foods. And it's just, I love it because to me, it's just very much looking at our bodies in relation to creation. Now, when we're talking about the toxicity spectrum of plants, the most problematic compounds are likely to be concentrated in the leaves, stem, roots, and seeds. Those are all parts of the plant that support and nourish that growth process, you know, and they want to deter predators like animals and humans from interrupting that process. I saw it described uh, one place like this. Uh, Fruit isn't part of the plant itself, but a reproductive part growing from the plant. The thing a tomato plant produces isn't a part of the plant itself any more than the egg a chicken lays is a part of the chicken. Does that make sense? Um, But when we eat vegetables, on the other hand, we're eating the plant itself or some of its parts like roots, stems, or leaves. Okay, so when we're looking at these plant foods on a spectrum of toxicity, because the fruit is the final product and the one they're okay with you, you know, eating, it's likely the, the least toxic. Now, fruits do have some of these troubling compounds, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like some ox, um, oxalates and salicylates. Um, but I think that in the absence of the more troubling plant compounds, the body has a much better chance of dealing with them. And we're not talking about eating a lot of fruit on a carnivorous diet, um, you know, little or it should be a little (laughs) I'm eating more than I quote unquote should be for a meat-based diet but at this point I'm just trying to stay compliant within the kind of the food boundaries um, at this point and I'm working on tweaking that balance in ratio of a higher percentage of meat and you know in ratio to plant food but you know it's hard Um, so far I but I have stayed within the um, kind of my my food list here Um, but the idea of this kind of the idea of eating the fruit 
it just resonates with me so much on a biblical level. You know, the Garden of Eden, how we are called to bear fruit, bear this final product, spread our fruit, um, share our fruit. And there's just a lot I've been thinking about that goes along with this. Um, and so I've kind of dubbed what I'm doing as biblical carnivore, <laughs> mostly ruminant meats and fruits. And here's another thought, which may not be popular opinion, but I just don't feel like Bible people were sitting around eating ginormous salads or feeling, filling their plates with gobs and gobs of broccoli. You know, I don't think they were filling their plates with gobs of meat either. Not saying that at all. Or fruit. Because, uh, you know, it would have to have been in season. Again, I think it was a balance, you know, of whatever nature was offering and growing at the time. And they lived in a less toxic world where their bodies could better process some of these more challenging compounds. I think that what we see over and over, though, as far as foods that are higher on the spectrum of plant toxicity are grains and legumes, nuts and seeds, and nightshade vegetables. That's kind of the next level of cutting out and eliminating once you removed or kind of played around with the top five allergens, um, those sensitivities, you know, the gluten, corn, soy, dairy, and eggs. You know, some of the vegetables can be problematic for one reason of the other, you know, the other two. It's, it's just this culmination of all this information, which has basically melted my brain, and maybe I've melted your brain <laughs> at this point. Um, I think it's why the carnivorous was appealing. I just was like, okay, what is simple? What is simple and what is direct here? You know, and to me that was like, okay, let's eat some meat and the least problematic fruits. Um, so, but, you know, I'm not eating like tomatoes, for example. Those are a pretty problematic fruit because of the lectins and the nightshade. Um, so that's what I'm focusing, focusing on those are my reasons, which may not make a lick of sense to some people, but to me, it just does. Um, I do think that the best diet is a balanced one. You know, I'm in no way planning on doing this long term. I'm not, please, Lord, no. Um, but for right now, it's working for me. Um, animal based animal based foods offer a lot of nutrition. And some would argue in most cases, the best bioavailable nutrition, meaning the body can assimilate and utilize it more efficiently. I mean, you can't compare, for instance, the iron that you get from meat to the iron you get from spinach. I mean, it's like different planets. And there are a lot of cases like that where animal sourced foods will get you the nutrition you need in a more direct way. So I think that's uh, why a lot of people and a lot of the reason that people have such success with this is that it removes a lot of the problematic compounds, um, but also floods the body with bioavailable vitamins and minerals. You know, plus, most people don't eat enough protein. So it also you're getting a bunch of protein with this as well. And it supplies all those building blocks of the body. You know, I see this as a therapeutic reset. Again, this is not my long-term plan. It's just um, I'm experimenting, I'm playing with it, um, hoping I see improvement. But what I can tell you so far is that my gut feels awesome. I mean, I don't know how my antibodies are doing, but I have to imagine that if my gut feels improved, then that is wonderful for my digestive system and also calming to my immune system since the digestive system and the immune system are so um, intertwined. You know, perhaps my digestive system is working better without the anti-nutrients interfering. And I've always known that I do better without a lot of fiber roughage. Now, I'm still getting fiber from fruit, but it, um, it is digesting well for me. Now, I am taking some gut supports. 
And I still plan on coming on and doing another podcast with my experience and explaining all of this more. But, you know, I just today I just really wanted to lay the groundwork of why someone might even consider doing this. Why would somebody even consider doing an animal based therapeutic diet? Um, it was funny because my best friend texted me the other morning and she's like, I'm feeling thick and heavy. <laughs> Remember how I told you that we do that? We'll say that to each other when we've just kind of been off base and, you know, just feeling kind of yucky. And so she's like, I'm feeling thick and heavy. And I said, I'm actually feeling kind of light and breezy, um, you know, because I have knocked out some of that bloat and inflammation from my gut. My belly's a little flatter. And with that, I've lost some pounds too. And I'm hopping on the scale along the way here to monitor. I'm trying to kind of monitor all of these markers here and so I can share them with you along the way, you know, kind of where I'm seeing changes. And so when I did hop on the scale, I saw a number I haven't seen since I don't even know when. Even below the number I hit after I did my gut reset, which remember I did that podcast and told you how after I did the two gut resets that it ha it kind of brought me to the lower end of my range um, that I usually maintain. Well, now this has knocked me even below that. Um, it kind of busted another level of it. And again, I am not at all doing this to lose weight because, I mean, I know I don't need to. I've been at a perfectly healthy weight for a long time and I am still within a healthy weight range for my age and height so don't worry I'm not losing too much weight um and I have no idea how many calories I'm eating because you know me I don't count that <laughs> um but I eat when I'm hungry I can tell you that and I can tell you I haven't craved sugar as much I haven't craved sugar as much as I've craved variety right um but honestly I do think I I don't think as much about sugary stuff. And even though honey and dates are kind of on this carnivorous plan, I've only had them a few times. One was when I made those little funny uh, fat honey bombs, those cacao uh, honey bombs I told you about last week, it, you know, which had actually very minimal honey in them. Um, and then I've had a few dates here and there. Like I said, I will, I'll do a podcast with more specifics um, on this. But if you have any questions that you'd like me to address about it, let me know. If you get my Sunday send out email, then you can just, you know, when I send it to you, hit reply and ask me. Because um, I always enjoy um, getting those emails and it's kind of a reliable way to, to get to me. Um, if you're not already in my email group then just go to my website and you'll see that place to opt in there for the Sunday send out. And I'll also put a link in the show notes. Um, but that's really, that's one of the most reliable way I, reliable ways I communicate with you and you with me, you know, because I don't always see the comments in Facebook or Messenger or even Instagram. Um, and plus, I'm, I'm sending out details and links and information in my Sunday send out email. Like just the other day, I sent uh, my last one, I sent the functional ranges of the thyroid, you know, so when I was talking in the thyroid podcast, when I was talking about that, those functional ranges, those more optimal ranges you want your thyroid to be in, I sent what those are um, to the people on my Sunday send out so they can have that as a resource. Um, and so anyway, I try to send out, you know, helpful information like that. So if you're not um, in that email group, make sure that you get in there. Okay, because I do want to know what you're thinking and wondering about all this stuff. You know, sometimes when you're so in the weeds, and girl, I'm in the weeds. <laughs> I have been in the weeds. Um, you miss that broader range of like, and sometimes the most obvious questions are what people are thinking, like those kind of more general questions. 
Um, sometimes I feel like I dive right to the the details more than answer the broad. So I don't know if I do that, let me know. Um, you know, this is one of those podcasts that honestly kind of pains me to do kind of like the pork and shellfish one, <laughs> because I don't want to add confusion or make things more complicated. You know, I think we already hear so much confliction in the dietary world. And the truth is, you can find scientific studies to prove both sides of the coin in many cases when it comes to all this, you know, nutrition information. It is enough to make you crazy. It is what originally led me to follow my godly compass, you know, in the first place, just regarding real food the way God made it. And for the most part, that is the ticket. You know, um, that is all you need. You get that right and your body is going to respond and everything's going to be okay. But in some cases, we may need to tweak within the godly kingdom of food, within the plant and animal kingdoms. Um, but I don't doubt that with the nutrition your body needs and honoring the lifestyle choices of sleep and movement and sunshine and all those good things, that your body can heal and thrive. Okay, so I'm not here to make it confusing. Just have hope in, um, in real food the way God made it and all of these wonderful things in nature and, and you know, that God has put um, our bodies in relation to creation to be healthy. And that's what I want to leave you with today. So I appreciate you so much for listening. And I hope you have a healthy and blessed week. And I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.